Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And Ty fans, I really have a treat for you. The Gator Nation podcast, James and Allen, we had an opportunity to do an interview for them ahead of the uh, Florida game. Again, just an opportunity for us to get to know Florida uh, a little bit. Uh, We played them certainly in the SEC championship last year, and they are a different team in many ways. So are we. And so an opportunity to talk to uh, sort of an inside podcast there. They do a a lot of phenomenal work. You'll hear me talk about that on the interview with them. But uh, they put out sort of a game breakdown. Not They do a podcast like we do, but they also do like an hour of footage breaking down specific plays from the offense uh, on video. It's on YouTube. I spent some time with that. I look forward to watching that after our game. They do uh, a lot of really great work there. And I think they're really sort of uh, teachers of the game as uh, as well as uh, students of the game. So a lot of fun uh, talking with them, a lot of fun prepping for their podcast, sort of getting to know their team a little bit, and then just the content of that other podcast provider, if you will. All right, I'm going to stop rambling uh, uh, intro, and I'm going to hand it off to the interview. There you go. Welcome back, uh, Alabama fans. We have a authentically true treat for you. I know I say that before every interview, but uh, I think this time I mean it more than most. Uh, We've got James and Alan from Gator Nation Podcast. They put out some phenomenal content. Uh, Check the show notes. We're going to have some links there uh, available for you to check out. Uh, But James and Alan, thanks for joining. Yeah, for sure. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's uh, it's great to be on on a Bama podcast. Can't wait. It's always been a dream, dream realized. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Hey, let's jump in. Uh, I was checking out some of your content, and uh, you know, before the season, you were sort of discussing 2021 as being sort of a gather step season. That's my term, not yours. Uh, you talked about it more. Is this neutral, sort of up or down? Uh, after, you know, the outstanding 2020, uh, that was sort of, what do we think? What do we expect going into 21? Two weeks into the season, uh, what's your updated assessment on the Florida Gators just overall? Yeah, kind of a little bit what we thought um, for the most part, that the offense was going to take a step back, really reoriented from like a passing dominant game to a run dominant game with a limited quarterback in Emory Jones um, and a defense that would probably improve, but not 
you know, kind of go back to a potentially dominant defense. But the total wild card here is Anthony Richardson, the redshirt freshman quarterback who, if you've not seen him yet, go just look at the highlights, human highlight reel. And to the extent that he's healthy and can play, it totally reorients, reorients his feeling for Florida. So, but that's a big question mark. Uh, you know, tweaked his hamstring. He might not play at all against Bama, but kind of raises the ceiling for this Florida team where if he is who we think it is, we can beat anybody in the country because he's that special. Now, he might not end up like that, but that's at least his ceiling. Yeah, he has he has been phenomenal in in some of the footage that that I've seen. Let's talk about the quarterback situation because you've got Emory Jones there as well. Is this uh, how would you characterize this? Is this a controversy? Is this a dual system? Is this Dan Mullen not yet making a decision? How, how do you characterize the the question mark here? All three of those things. If you if you ask Alan and I, it would be a simple decision, and and you would be starting Anthony Richardson. Uh, we had actually talked about that in the off season. We had very limited film on Richardson, uh, but the the small pieces of film we had led us to believe that he had far more tools available to him. I think that's played out through game one and two, as coaches will do, as Dan Mullen especially will do. For those of your listeners that are familiar with with him and kind of some of his methods. He likes to stick with the veteran guy. He's very loyal to his older players. And so far, the, the, the methodology and the message has been Emory Jones is our starter, which has really been significantly frustrating to a large portion of Florida's fan base because they feel like it's rather obvious that Richardson should be starting over Emory Jones, and yet Emory Jones continues to be the named starter. And as Alan mentioned, you know, Dave, I think the real key here is with, with Richardson's hamstring issue, it's unlikely that even if he plays, he'd play like the Anthony Richardson that popped up on film through week one and week two. So controversy for sure, frustration point for all Gators fans. And I, I think a really hopeful point for the future is that it's definitive in my mind that Richardson is the quarterback of Florida's future end of now. Will he be for Alabama? Probably not. So Dan Mellon is sometimes, a, a, and, and, and I'm borrowing from some of your assessments, uh, is so a, a slow trigger puller in these types of situations, loyal to, uh, you know, the guys in place. Has Emory Jones done enough to lose the job? Uh, I mean, he makes the good play, but not the great play. Uh, has he done enough to lose the job? Is that sort of a point of contention here, do you think? Yes, definitely. I, I think his mistakes are so egregious and they reveal – kind of what he's lacking. So it's not just he's thrown four interceptions, the type of interceptions that he's thrown that show that he really doesn't understand what's happening out there. These aren't like tip balls or great plays by a defender or, you know, being aggressive down the field. These are stuff that if FAU and USF will do it to you, Alabama will do it to you 10 times over. Right. So I think that's what it was. I mean, he's he doesn't anticipate he's late on his throws. You could live with some of that, that stuff. I think if if Anthony Richardson is not there, then you're probably still going. We'll just have to live with what Emory's doing because the other guys are – he's still probably better than the other guys at this point by a significant degree. But when you watch Richardson, it, it, he's like a lightning bolt. I don't know that I've ever seen really yeah. anybody like him. I'm not saying a lot. I, I agree. Anthony Richardson is, is sort of the player that you would build uh, if you were pulling together all the parts. He's got – you know, the legs, the speed, the arm, you know, he reads the defense very well. Uh, it's amazing that he's, you know, sort of only, uh, what is it, a redshirt freshman? I think his future uh, is phenomenal. And, and I would say just word of warning to Alabama fans, 
if this game Saturday unfolds in one direction where Anthony Richardson doesn't play and it's the Emory Jones show, and then we have the opportunity to play Florida again in Atlanta later in the season with the healthy Anthony Richardson, we will in effect be playing two different teams, not the same team. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's very well said. I think that's true. We talk a lot on the podcast about being ceiling guys. Our coaching mindset is to coach for the ceiling. In fact, we spent multiple years talking about Nick Saban on this podcast as having a floor strategy. Yes, yes, yes. You've been listening to our show, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, we would talk We would talk about that a lot. And I really disliked his floor strategy and, and often said, you know, if I was Nick Saban, I'd be a ceiling guy. I'd want to just break everything I could in the system and show what's possible with the talent that he has. And I think now that's, that's what happens at Alabama. But uh, for, for Florida, Richardson is a ceiling guy. And as you mentioned, it's a very different football team when he's in it. Now, we don't know what some of his weaknesses are yet, but regardless, the ceiling is, is probably totally undefined with him. With Emory Jones, you know what you're getting. Uh, Saban can put the film in and know exactly what his weaknesses are, know how to game plan him. With Richardson, he's a wild card. He's unknown. He's a mismatch. He's a problem. And I think, as you mentioned, if Florida does wind up being quarterbacked by him and there was an SEC title between these two teams, it, the, the makeup will be almost completely different yeah. in, in tone and tenor. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the supporting cast. There's, uh, I'm going to call it an emerging talents at the skill position, uh, especially you consider sort of the transition from last year, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, just, uh, just outstanding talents. Uh, but it looks like Jacob Copeland, uh, six-foot wide receiver, really burst out last week, 175 yards. Behind that, it looks like a lot of, at least in the numbers, looks like a, more of a short passing game. Uh, and certainly a trio of running backs are, uh, are asserting themselves. How would you guys assess the skill positions outside of quarterback for the Gators? I think that's really accurate. And I think Copeland is a boomer bust guy. I mean, if Emory plays, he might have no catches. So he's not a guy that I think we'll just win at all costs. He's not one of these elite guys, but he is dangerous. He has a lot of physical tools. And the rest of the guys I think are fine, and I think they're improving, but there's, they're pretty interchangeable at this point. And I think the running backs are all really reliable. Damian Pierce is the guy I think is the best, although he might not get the most carries. So I think you'll see Florida continue to rotate through. I mean, could surprise me and play Pierce a ton. But, yeah, they, they definitely use a committee there at receiver, running back, and tight end. Nobody – really any more dangerous than the other guy, but all pretty talented guys. And, and Mullen's good at scheming them up, right? And so if you have a lot of uh, sort of similar talents, I think he can he can scheme up some, some throws and, and some runs. So what's the deal with the tight end? There's no catches by the tight ends. Is that allowed for, you know, from the team that uh, featured Kyle Pitts last year? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think both guys are serviceable. They're fine. Um, they showed last year if you have a passing oriented offense when Kyle Pitts was hurt that you know they can make the catches for the most part they're they're not negatives on the team by any stretch of the imagination but I, they're not guys that you have to game plan around so right. you leave them open they'll hurt you but they're not a guy you're like go okay this is the guy we have to stop first but yeah by that's fair hey Alabama's had trouble uh defending the tight end uh so uh which which one's gonna which one's gonna hit beat us up over the middle uh Saturday I mean Probably Kamari Gamble seems the guy that they favor uh, in some of the longer developing routes, but I'm not, if I was a Bama fan, I wouldn't be worried about it. Well, right. I think what it comes down to Dave with the tight end position is if Kyle Trask is still quarterback in his team, you'd still be having balls thrown to the tight end spot, but Florida's primarily now using them 
much more heavily as blockers. And obviously, even if they release, if you look at, at quarterbacks who don't read the field well, you don't want to throw the ball over the middle of the field. Yep. And the tight end sort of dies. He becomes either like, let's slip him out into the flat or let's run a corner route with him. So I think that's largely what's happening. But as Alan said, of course, you don't have a generational talent like Pitts. But I do think as far as college football team goes, not, not the Bamas of the world, not the Georgias of the world, you have guys that are capable pass catchers at tight end. Uh, whether or not we feature them in this game, I think largely depends on who's playing quarterback. Um, but, but yeah, as, as, as Alan mentioned, as you said, you know, it doesn't look like Florida's a team right now that's having any success throwing the ball to what I would consider to be the more difficult places on the field to throw the ball, which would be over the middle, the more elevated places to throw the ball. That's just not something Florida's shown they're willing to attack right now with any kind of consistency. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, what's your confidence level in the, uh, the offensive line? Uh, often when you have running quarterbacks, it's, it's a couple of things. It's design runs. Uh, it's maybe only a one read sort of progression by the individual quarterback. Uh, sometimes it can be uh, uh, some faults or, or leaks from the offensive line. How, uh, how would you categorize that? How would you characterize uh, the big uglies up front? They played better this year than I thought they might, um, especially if uh, our right tackle, who's long been the weak link, isn't playing. I think the, the level goes up. But I would think against most defenses, I would trust this line to allow the offense to be competent and adequate. I'm really interested to see what they look like against a Bama front or a Georgia front and how they hold up. I think they'll do okay, but if I, I have not real confidence that they're going to be the reason we would win a game or, or move the ball down the field. I think they'll do just enough, but most likely they're going to get, I think, beat up front. I think I'm not expecting them to hold up the point of attack against a team like Bama. We're not exactly pleased with our right tackle either. Uh, I think Chris Owens gave up a sack on first play from scrimmage uh, against Mercer. So we're not exactly pleased with our right tackle either. So we share space there. Yeah, it does seem like I've obviously done a lot of the uh, panel watching. I've watched every snap from their game in this year. And one thing for Florida is, you know, offensively, our offensive line is better than it's been, but it's not great. But it looks like on film for the first two games you've played, you know, Bama's offensive line is, is beneath where it's traditionally been yeah. as far as productivity, you know, allowing a lot of pressure to get through uh, uh, both Mercer and Miami, uh, which I'm sure is not lost on Florida, given that Florida's got an excellent defensive line. That's probably going to be, without spoiler alerting your future content, that's going to be, I think, the matchup of the game that's most interesting for Florida is I'm sure they feel like they may actually have an advantage there with their defensive line versus Bama's offensive line, which, which maybe has not been said in, in quite some no. time for Florida. Fans. No, I think, that, I think that's right. And uh, I, I want to put a pin on that because I want to come back to, you know, stepping through the defense. But, but let's do flip the field uh, on, on, and talk defense a little bit. I want to spend a minute just, uh, you know, sort of collecting you guys what you think about defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. Uh, looks like he's in a, a holdover that maybe not a lot of fans are excited about. Talk about that if, if you want to. Uh, and then talk about just his scheme in general. Uh, it looks like on paper it's a 3-4, but it runs more like a 4-2-5 a with sort of the, and you can fill in the blanks here, but the sort of the buck linebacker, which is more, seems like maybe more of a defensive end. And uh, the, the star or the nickel, which uh, I, I, depending upon where I'm looking, uh, I see that as being more of a run support position. 
but then in, in the Gator system or, or, you know, in coverage as well. Break down just the system, if you will, uh, that Grantham runs. Well, and in order of how you asked the question, you know, first, uh, obviously I'm no fan of, of Grantham's current coaching style or strategy. But that's something we talk about a lot on the podcast. As you saw, you know, last year, of course, Bama was really, really destroying everyone on offense. But um, Grantham does like to play a lot of nickel, which you mentioned. He plays a lot of 4-2-5, despite the fact that Florida has a lot of talented linebackers. Um, I think I think the MO on Grantham is he, he likes to, as Georgia fans dubbed it, kind of get into third in Grantham, where nobody really knows where a blitz may come from. He uses kind of nonsensical pressures. But Florida's defense, I think, is characterized by a lack of coordination. And I use that word on purpose. You have a defensive coordinator. You want the defense to be coordinated. At times, Florida will bring pressure, but play very soft and give a quarterback an easy throw. Um, They've struggled historically to have a a consistent star or nickel, as you mentioned. This year's defense with Grantham has more talent than last year, which should be interesting. I think the big question for any Florida fan heading into any big game is what strategy – do we use and it seems like Grantham tends to choose the more conservative one, especially on the back end. He allows teams to complete a plethora of passes, the easy first kind of you know first read throws. And and basically, I think Florida fans were over Grantham last year. He stayed. There's not a lot of love for him around in Gainesville. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if things went south here in the swamp if, if you kind of felt that frustration when Florida's on defense. Yeah. That'll certainly be something to something to watch. Talk talk us through. I mean, I've got a list of names, but you can add color to them. Uh, just start up front and sort of work back. Who are the players to watch? What are the matchups that uh, that you're most keenly interested in uh, as we think about the Gator defense? So there's a long list of defensive linemen you could name. Zachary Carter uh, headlines that list. Britton Cox, the transfer from Georgia, highly rated guy. There's some guys that will flash for sure. You know, some stout defensive tackles up front. Kyer Elam is the corner who. It's on a lot of like preseason All-American kind of lists. He is the real deal. Um, excellent coverage, struggles a little in zone. Everybody else is, you know, either a younger guy who maybe looks kind of good or a talented guy who doesn't know his spot yet. Um, if he had linebacker, the other corner spot is where I think you'll see Bama attack. Uh, some young guys who haven't had a lot of playing experience, some talented guys, but um, – and Avery Helm and Jason Marshall, but that's the other corner spot is the is the weaker one. The projected starter, Jaden Hill, went down toward ACL right before the season started. So that's definitely the place where Florida, I think, feels weakest. Talk about that star. I read uh, Jadarius Perkins is playing well in that position. Uh, what, what sort of color or context would you add to, to that type of bullet line? Yeah, he's probably been the biggest splash or surprise on the defensive side of the ball a guy who didn't come out of nowhere but also wasn't necessarily tabbed to be the guy that really popped on film uh we love him here at this podcast and, and actually we're you know we're recording our episode today and we basically spent a long time talking about how if he's not featured and starting at that star position it's yet just another sort of head scratching move uh by the defensive staff but for the first time in, in some time for Florida, you're going to have a corner in Elam, who's number five. You're going to have Perkins at stars, number 27, who are both capable of playing man and stopping the run. And then, as Alan mentioned, you're going to have a, a real weakness, I think, on the other side, where you're probably going to see a lot of number three, uh, Jason Marshall, who's 
a five-star talented corner, but he's just too inexperienced and you're yeah. facing Alabama's receivers. That's going to be a tall order for them. Uh, but yeah, Perkins has been a guy who's been one of the best players on defense. He's an absolute ball hawk, good technique, can play press man, can play off, can stop the run. He's got a good feel uh, as a defender, and he's definitely been a plus guy for Florida. We'll see what he does, obviously, against real competition with Bama. Is that, uh, and if I mispronounce his name, I'm sorry, that uh, K.R. Elam, is he related to Matt? Is uh, related to Matt Elam? Yeah, Matt's his older brother. Yeah, Kair Elam. Yeah, Matt's his older brother. The more talented brother is the younger one in this case, which I'm sure Matt uh, doesn't love. But he's got all the skills to be a, to be a, a, a top number one corner in the NFL. As Alan mentioned, curiously, he struggles in zone coverage. But it's always a question with Florida whether that's what's being taught or whether he actually struggles with zone. He's an honor student. He's a very smart guy. It doesn't seem like actually mentally handling the zone would be a difficult thing for him. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I think Bama fans, if they don't know, should know, is under Grantham, Florida has been, I would say, particularly bad at playing zone defense. It's been a major weakness of, of Florida's uh, second down, third down, whatever it may be. They just do not play what you would consider to be a, a – a textbook or even clean zone. And we're not talking about pattern matching or even complicated concepts. We're talking about executing a static zone correctly. And that's made Florida pay a lot in uh, in big games during Grantham's tenure. So small correction there. Uh, Matt Elam is Kyer's uncle. Uncle, okay. Crazy. He's like six years older than him. Yeah. Sorry, not brother. <laughs> I knew there had to be a relationship, but uh, I just, I wanted, I wanted to confirm so, so let me let me let me go in a in a little bit of a of a different direction, sort of a little, maybe a little bit off the field. Get your guys' sort of candid impressions of uh, just Dan Mullen, Dan uh, Mullen, just in general. I think I think this is already his fourth year. I don't know how time goes so fast, but uh, I, I I perceive him as being you know very solid in in terms of uh, offensive game plans. I don't follow your recruiting, obviously, as close as you do, and then he's done some you know, Darth Vader mask kind of things that, you know, might strike folks a little curious. Just what's your read on on Dan Mullen just overall? Yeah, I think there there's some noise in the system there. I don't think Dan always handles himself best in those media circus kind of situations, um, makes some false steps. Uh, top-notch offensive mind. I think the Gators will always be good on offense as long as he's the head coach. You know, as a leader of a program like Florida, I think he still has some question marks out there in terms of who he hires as a coach and his personnel choices. But Florida will always be a certain level of success under Mullen. Uh, to go back to the floor and ceiling strategy is a very high floor. And it's had a little bit of higher ceiling, I think we thought. And the, for him, really, the recruiting is probably, honestly, the biggest question mark. Florida's recruiting has been okay, uh, but not for a place like Florida if you want to contend with teams that are recruiting at an incredible rate like Georgia and Alabama, who you have to beat to you know, win the SEC. It's just not really up to par to win year in and year out. So I think Florida fans are happy with Dan Mullen, but have some things they would love to see him improve on. Right. No, that's and I'd, piggyback on, I'd piggyback on that one and say the same thing. The, you know, Florida wants to win championships, and we have called Dan Mullen a, a gatekeeper on this podcast. So if you're a fan of, you know, the UFC or anything like that, it seems like he's the guy that you have to be if you want to be able to win a national championship, but he himself is not capable of winning one as a head coach. And we've pointed 
multiple times the things other coaches have done. So one, you know, Nick Saban benches Hurts and puts in Tua and wins a national title. He flirted with it all year long. He got it right at the end. Obviously, Dabo Sweeney benches Kelly Bryant, puts in Trevor Lawrence, wins a national title. It's hard to find any situation in Dan Mullen's career where he's done that either with a staff member or a player, where he's been willing to say, I'm going to make a decision that's hard for me personally. And we know that Nick Saban obviously loved Jalen Hurts. That decision was not an easy one. It was not one that he simply wanted to make. He's not a ruthless winner without feelings. But I think that's how a lot of Florida fans feel with Dan. It's like, yeah, we're winning. We're there. But does Florida want to just sort of be in games and, and kind of having nine or 10 win seasons? Or do they actually want to have a team that is capable of competing with Georgia and Alabama consistently? And that's the question that is unanswered, but I think is, is um, the one that matters the most when it comes to what Dan Mullen's legacy will be at Florida or how long he even stays. Is, does he have what it takes to win something or even compete for something at that level? You know, that's the, the way you unpack that is is interesting. I had a question uh, or a conversation with uh, <clears throat> with a buddy a number of years ago, uh, but you know, before he left left Mississippi State and went to went to Florida, and the, you know, the conversation was like was around the fact. And we don't know Dan Mullen as as well as you guys do, but uh, you know, from the distance that that we had, uh, the question was that that I had, you know, to my buddy is is that a step that he wants to make? He can stay at Mississippi State and be a hero. He is a good coach. There's no question there. Uh, they're going to build a statue and statue in Starkville if he stays there, uh, you know, another stretch of time, or he can decide, I want to try to compete at the highest level. And, and Florida certainly, certainly offers that. And, you know, my friend was like, well, why would he not do that? You know? And, and my thought was because, you know, he can have a very comfortable career, make a lot of money in Starkville, have statues, roads, streets named after him. He just, you know, what does he want to do in terms of the challenge he wants to put himself into? And so the parallel or the sort of the connection that I draw there is that hard decision. You can do 98% of it the same at both locations, just at a higher level because it's Florida, but it's that extra 2% or that extra 3% where you have to make that hard decision. And uh, that'll be something to see. Uh, interesting how that unfolds there. Uh, in Gainesville. That, that's sort of my assessment. I don't know if that lines up with uh, with what you guys are seeing. I think that's pretty spot on, Matt. Yeah, obviously, no one would say Dan Mullen is not a top-notch coach, but sure. can he get a program over the top is the question that remains. And as James said, that's the most important one. Makes sense. Makes sense. Hey, you guys uh, uh, mentioned this before. You guys put out some really great uh, content. You have a real good sense for the game. I think you're uh, at the same time, you're teachers of the game uh, as well as students of the game as well. How do you guys, when you watch, when you're watching a game, where, where do your eyes go? What are you watching? Sort of impart a little of your game watching wisdom to uh, the Alabama audience here. So I think um, it's easy just to watch the quarterback and where the ball is. Um, if you want to kind of get the next level up is, try to look at how the offense is aligned and how the defense is aligned pre-snap. And that'll tell you a lot about what's going to happen. You know, how many corners are out there, how many tight ends are out there. Sometimes it's hard to see, especially if teams are playing fast. But that that's what I'm looking at is I want to see what kind of personnel is on the field. Um, what is the team trying to do tactically? And is it working? I like to, to in real time, of course, if you're watching in person, you can see everything. That's yeah. like what Alan said. I like to read it like a quarterback would on both sides of the ball. 
uh, you know, how many safeties are there? What kind of front are they in? What formation are we running? Or what's the place I'd go with the football? What are the most likely routes? And, you know, kind of work from there. And obviously, I get the benefit of looking at the all 22 every single week where I can really see what happens. But I think in real time, I'm, I'm looking at decision making. Is the coaching staff making a proper decision based upon numbers? So one thing Florida has been guilty of significantly in the past on defense is just getting the numbers wrong, something you'll rarely see Alabama do. And, you know, so if you look at Alabama, will defend a bunch formation. They almost never get it wrong. And if they do, it's you know, Nick Saban's throwing his headset and freaking out. Whereas Florida will frequently be down numbers all the time. You'll see a red zone play where they'll march four guys out to the left and Florida will be down 3v4. Or they'll go the other way. They'll be 5v4 against a running team where they've got a quarterback in the box and they're down numbers there. You just can't play football that way. You have to get aligned correctly. So I think it starts at that level and it gets more nuanced from there. Um, and that's why I love, obviously, I put out a film review on Bama last year. I love watching Nick Saban coach teams because even when they're struggling, you can still see the principles of soundness that are there. They line up correctly. Their spacing is correct. They're attempting to do the right things. And, and oftentimes, they don't always get it right. They're college players. But at Florida, oftentimes, even live in person, you're not going to always see that. So I like to just look for that. Are we sound in our starting positions? And, and if we are, are we getting beat because the team's more athletic than we are? Or they're better than we are? We're getting beat one-on-one, or are we beating ourselves and making it easier for the opponent? Makes sense. Makes sense. That's a lot of fun. Hey, let me get, uh, let me get you out of here on just a real easy one. Favorite Gator all time? Uh, for me, I am you know <laughs> grew up in the 90s. It's got to be Danny Werfel. Brought Florida its first championship and. Yeah, that was such a fun era, Spurrier football. So, you know, it never really gets better for you than when you're a kid. Right. Yeah, which is true. And we've asked this question to ourselves in the podcast before, and, and I've had more time to think about it, which is kind of funny. But I, my favorite Gator is, is Steve Spurrier. And, of course, I never watched him play. I haven't lived enough years to see that. But if I really think about what still to this day I think is synonymous with Florida football, and it is Steve Spurrier. And there's something great about being a Gator with – with Steve still making comments, trolling his opponents, still witty out in the press. Uh, you know, I think there's something that all Gator fans love about that era and that time, as Alan mentioned. And uh, I think it would be, you know, hard press for me not to say that, that he is the guy, given that he really did, to a large extent, I think, create Florida football. I agree. I think, uh, I think that's phenomenal. One of my favorites, uh, again, you know, from a distance, but one of my favorites, similar eras we're talking about, Kevin Carter. I just thought he was a beast off the, off the end. And I think he had the the just the the largest arms and looked uh, more intimidating than probably almost any football player I've ever seen since. Yes, enormous human being with a lot of talent, and uh, yeah, it was fun to watch him play and dominate too. Absolutely, James and Alan, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having us, Dave. We appreciate it. You know, obviously, good luck to you this weekend uh, in Tabama, and hopefully, you guys lose, but. I don't think we're hopeful for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And, uh, and I think there's, uh, uh, there's potentially, uh, potentially a chance that we play you guys twice this year. Could be, although Georgia looks pretty good. That could be a fun one whenever that one happens. We'll have to, we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, uh, they put their starter in and scored three points, and then they put the law firm in, and he scores five touchdowns. I don't know exactly how that works, but uh, Georgia's kind of up and down. So we'll see, we'll see how they net out. Kirby, Kirby will throw one at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I like JT Daniels. I like, I like their defense, but I think by the end of the year, that could be, that could be something.
And there you have it, folks. That was the interview with James and Alan from the Gator Nation podcast. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. They were a lot of fun to talk to and really good uh, content. And I promise their material is top shelf. And so uh, we'll post a, a, a link after they put out their stuff and after we put out our stuff next week, uh, we'll post a link to their stuff. It, it really, really is good. I know it's Florida. I know it's an opponent. But I think if you were to watch their stuff every week, not in place of listening to our podcast, but if you were to watch their stuff every week, I think you'd learn a lot. And I need to carve out uh, some time in my calendar to to do that, uh, especially when it's a like opponent. When they play someone that we're going to play, I really am going to try to fold that into my prep. We'll see how that works. Also want to make a plug for the member program. If you are not a member uh, of the podcast, and it's, it can be as low as two bucks a month. If you're not a member of the podcast, then you're listening to this when it releases, whenever that is, Wednesday or Thursday. If you're a member of the program, you have an opportunity to receive this download, a, a raw, unedited version, but you have an opportunity to receive this download as early as Monday night. Our weekly shows we released those on Monday the last couple of weeks. If you were a member a member of the podcast, you would have the opportunity to get a raw version of those Sunday, a full day early. Uh, and for this podcast, because we want to have or this interview podcast, we want to have a little bit of separation between uh, the post game and the interview for next week. Uh, you might uh, there might be a two day difference, and so you could have this interview in your hands, fed right to you just through a private feed. Uh, you could have that uh, maybe as much as two uh, two days ahead of sort of the fully polished podcast. So if that is something of interest to you uh, for a nominal two bucks a month, $18 a year, uh, you could support the podcast in that way. Go to alabamafootballpodcast.com. There's a, a banner there on the side. You can click that for all of the information you want. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out and email us at alabamafootballpodcast.com. We respond to every email inquiry except those selling SEO services. You know who you are. If you're hearing my voice, that's not you. All right. So this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious. 
serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 